0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. I am joined by fellow Quinnipiac University alum, Steve Cerruti. We have advertised this podcast as being about your 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo back, what being the father of two dogs is like, and the U.S. men's national soccer team. Is that what we're talking about today?
1: I like all of those things except for the 49ers topic. I, I am uh, I have no faith in Jimmy Garoppolo or the 49ers at this point in the season. So the other two, I will talk for hours on end about. But uh, the 49ers, like, I don't have too many things. I don't have too many great things to say about them right now.
0: But the rumor that I've heard is that you have an announcement that you'd like to make.
1: I do. I mean, as uh, as many of you guys maybe know, uh, I my last day at ESPN was at the end of August. And um, it was, you know, I was presented with an opportunity that I felt like I couldn't turn down. Um, you know, I, I've, I've always been sort of an on-air type producer in a way that guys like Ryan, Rosillo, Van Pell, Will Kane can sort of bounce things off of. But um, I was sort of approached uh, doing, to, do, to do an NBA show. A, uh, an NBA show with a former NBA player, Brian Scalabrini, on Radio.com and their new digital sports network. So starting... Uh, September 23rd, we're going to be daily audio, video, podcasting two hours live from uh, 11 to 1. Obviously, you can get the podcast, wherever podcasts are found, of just some, some all-out NBA talk every day with uh, me and my boys, the White Mamba, Brian Scalabrine. So it's something that I'm excited to do. Um, it's something I felt like I, I absolutely had to take the chance on. and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pumped that it's, that, I'm pumped that it's too, it's, it's you know, the NBA, the, uh, anyone who knows me knows that my 2 favorite sports for the NBA and soccer, so either one is was, was something I had to, you know, jump at the opportunity to take, and Cal is uh, is one of the, I guess, you know, one of the one of the most popular ex players in, that you really ever played. I mean, he has, like, such, such a cult cool following kind of going forward, so to him and I chopping it up every day, just uh, talking about the daily news and notes around the association, so I'm excited to uh, start in a couple of weeks, and, um. You know, it's a new challenge for me. and something that I, you know, wasn't necessarily, lo- necessarily looking to leave the SBN, but it's just some, um, you know, something that I didn't know if I would ever get the chance to do again. And it's just like, you know, if I didn't do it, would I be picking myself in 10 years? The answer absolutely yes. So it's something that I, I'm really excited about, and uh, I, hope, uh, I hope everyone, I think everybody will really enjoy it.
0: Uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, second of all, obviously you can't reveal the actual true story here, but I've always envisioned when people get approached, like there's some person who shows up in your life at like a restaurant and comes up to you and says, ah, yes, Mr. Sarudi, I have an offer for you that you can't accept. So, so obviously you can't tell me the real story, but let me ask you this. Was being approached what you envisioned being approached being like, or was it just like this, the simple, Hey, you know, we like your work. Would you be interested in this?
1: Uh, I think it was it was pretty simple I mean it was just uh, and it was odd timing too because obviously you know Ryan has you know has left DSP to do the ringer so we're no longer doing SVP and Racilla podcast or the Racilla podcast and that really had nothing to do with it at all it just has to be an odd you know coincidence of timing but now it was it was again yeah, sort of like a hey like you know you think you might be a good fit for this role do you want to come in and and, and you know see if you can try out see if it would work and um, I was like, yeah, why not? Absolutely. It sounds really cool. And the more I heard about it, the more I was like, this is really awesome. Like, I absolutely have to do this. And uh, so it was a pretty straightforward process. And like I said, it was difficult leaving ESPN because I've been there for eight years uh, in, in, in many different roles. But, um, you know, it was, it was, again, something that I just I felt like I couldn't pass up, you know. So the, the process, was, was it didn't take much convincing, to be honest with you. I was, and that's not, a, that's not a shot at ESPN or anything, but it was just an opportunity that
0: I felt like I absolutely had to take. Absolutely, and, and Ryan said as much on your on your last show. Um, this will not be another funeral podcast or show. I promise, because you've already had like four of those. I, know, I feel like I've been saying goodbye for too long. So yes, so we're not going to focus on that. We're gonna we're gonna talk about ESPN in a different way that you'll see later in the podcast. But first, we'll talk about this role. What was your prior relationship with Sky Labrini before you started getting into this? And obviously, you guys have been prepping and talking and. And and becoming way close than you maybe previously were, but did you have any kind of relationship? Was he somebody who came by ESPN offices?
1: Well, so Seattle you know, and I never really crossed pat crossed paths. At ESPN, like as far as on different shows, I had his number because we would text him. I, I would text him randomly to come on with Ryan, and he had been on with Ryan. I think he had been on with Will. He'd certainly been on back in the SCP and Racilla days as just a selfish guy or a general NBA guy, and I always liked him a ton. I thought he was really good. Um, and so I had a number, and, and that was about the extent of our relationship. I don't know if he was necessarily, I don't know if he necessarily knew who I was. I mean, I'm sure if I looked blue I in a text change for years ago, he'd have seen me probably bothering him about coming on different shows. But um, hmm. but that was pretty much our relationship. But I was always sort of an admirer of Seattle from afar. I mean, he, has, he wears a billion different hats. I mean, he's, he's playing the big three now, so he still has to play in hoop, which is cool. He's still chopping up with a lot of those ex-NBA and current NBA players. Um, and you know he's a guy that I, like I said, I had been following, you know, throughout his entire playing career, basically, because everybody knew who the Wet Mamba was. I mean, he was a he's a key, he was and is a cult hero. And even through his post, you know, post playing career now into his media career, I've always just admired how good he was at breaking down games or getting you know, opinions, just being down there talking about hoops. So that was uh, I didn't have like a you know necessarily a personal relationship with him, but I knew him a
0: little bit. We're talking to my friend Steve Cerruti, who uh, is going to join Intercom and Radio.com here in a couple weeks. September 23rd is the premiere of his uh, daily basketball show with Brian Scalabrini. Scal, I think, as you said, as a cult following, is known for being a funny guy, beloved in Boston, uh, it was was kind of that end-of-the-bench guy, but yet was very productive when he got in. He kind of had had two lives. He, he had his, his productive NBA side, and he had his his end of the bench mentorship side and I think some people think of him not as a silly guy but just as a really funny guy but it seems like from all the rehearsals and test shows and and talking to him that there's actually a lot of really interesting insight that that a lot of people may not realize he can provide about the game
1: yeah I think you know there's players ex-players sort of go many different directions after their career but you know he's been a guy um, and a lot of the guys in the media it, and this is regardless of sport you know stay connected to people who played or GMs or just you know guys that around the league to get information from um, that, that makes any great analyst great is, is staying you know with the news and the happenings of what's going on and understanding relationships still and you know, also a lot of the guys that are still in the league, he played with, so he knows he has firsthand knowledge of a lot of those people. So, um, you know, that's something that, you know, mm-hmm. over I sort of look at our show. as like, uh, you know, he, I'm going to probably be the guy that, you know, the, I always try to do this. especially with it was Ryan's show or Will show. is like, you know, asking the questions that the fans want to know, whether that was through the prism of, um, you know, with Ryan Russillo and talking about, you know, with, with his, his insight on the NBA and being like, okay, well, here's what, you know, our audience might ask, like, let me ask that question. I sort of look at that role. That that is my role on this show as well to be like, all right, like how do I how do I bring how do how am I the voice of the fan in this thing, and how am I the voice of the the guy who's on his couch watching LePass, you know, seven days a week, you know, just taking as much NBA action as possible, and you know, so so I sort of want to be I, I sort of want the show to be informative, like obviously breaking down games and things like that, but also just fun and just sports conversations that you would have, you know, with your buddies in the group chat. I mean, I I I think that's sort of like the 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 idea that we're going to have for the show and as I said we're going to you know, bring in current players former players as well on top of and I. that will sort of add to that conversation so uh, like I said I think it's a good mix of, of, of personality
0: to that point uh, what can you tell the folks about the show and what they should expect
1: yeah, I think like oh, it's kind of what I just said. I mean, really, really, uh, I'm going to be sort of the, the, the guy, the outsider almost. And I, I, I sort of, I mean, I love that role. Obviously, it's the, the only role I can say, I'm not going to be an NBA insider playing the league. But, you know, I, I have different opinions on different things as different players, different coaches, different teams, different um, anything, really. And, you know, it would be interesting to bounce it off of sort of a, a guy, a former player, who who obviously has more knowledge about the game than I do. But I think, I think some of the best shows, um, are are that are that mixture of you know guys who played in the league and, and, and guys who didn't play in the league because sometimes if, if you go one way too far, you should not like if you, if you have all players, you know, like you sort of miss the perspective of the fans at some point. And if you go all guys that didn't play and are just like schmucks that are sitting on their couch watching Nipass, they'll they, they can you know they can miss things or be or, or be wrong about things because they just don't know. So I think this is kind of going to be a good mix of just. You know, two different perspectives and adding other perspectives to to this as we go of just different ways to look at, you know, the day-to-day happenings in the NBA. And that, you know, I'm really excited about, obviously, you know, uh, the trade deadline stuff, what will be awesome once we get to the playoffs and, you know, all the weekend and things like that. So, you know, those are all really great talking points that we'll be able to get to and and we'll sort of find our own unique way to do it.
0: And to your point about bouncing things off of Ryan or Will or whatever, um... I think the fans want to know about Ryan's gym routines. And, mm-hmm. and he kind of shut you down on that. But, you know, I, I, I think that was uh, one of your key roles over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, like I said, I, just, I know people want to know. <laughs> people love the good Rasillo gym story. So I know every once in a while we had to give everybody an update. So mm-hmm. I, was, I guess that I'm trying to have, I was trying to have my, my, uh, my finger on the pulse of what the fans want. And uh, whether that was with Ryan and now with Scal, that's something that I think I could break to the table. But Priscilla's gym routine changes all the time. So I, I, sometimes I'm not even up so I'm just asking God
0: out of general curiosity because I don't know. Um, I'm curious. Um, you are known, to those who know you, and for those who are listening, as a Magic fan, you're going you're gonna to come in as the outsider. Obviously, in media, you have to be unbiased, but can you take your Magic fan... Them roll and almost use it to your advantage in a sense. Can it be, you know, what I have this love of this team, and let's use that as a prism or a, a jumping off point to look through certain things with either the former players, the current players, scout insiders, whoever comes on your show, because there is that passion there.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, I think sometimes. Um, it's it's kind of a fine line being a fan and being, I guess, a media personality because you know I, I get why I get why somebody on SportsCenter or like a news show or whatever shouldn't be showing their fandom. But I've always sort of subscribed to like if you're doing a if you're if you're doing like a talk radio show, which is essentially what you know in some ways what we're doing. Um, I, I think I, I think it's okay to show some some of your biases. Like I always thought. There's, there's several examples that I think are great. I mean, I think Greeny on Mike and Mike, and now on Get Up, like as a Jets fan, I don't. I think that makes him better. I think that that makes him more relatable because he's just like you. He's just like everybody else. He's got a team and he roots and he and he feels for his team and he feels the heartbreak and the highs and the lows and the stress and the downfalls and all that stuff. So I think that and these guys more relatable. Um, in the same way that like when I work with Will Payne, Will's obviously a big Cowboys fan. I like. I don't want to. Well, I'm not going to shy away from that by any means. Now, obviously. It's better when teams are relevant and you're talking about them. Like, I'm not just going to randomly bring up Orlando Magic backs, unless people really want that, but I highly doubt they do. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, I, I think if they're stories, it's funny, we, we were just a, like an Eastern Conference sort of preview, and I actually do think the Magic this year are kind of like an underrated. I think they're going to be somewhat of a, a slept-on team. I think they could finish as high as, like, the five seed in the East. I think they're a team that's going to be better than maybe people expect again, even coming up Playoff here, and I was sitting there kind of thinking, like, all right, do I do I go full homer? Because I don't think it's necessarily a homer thing. Like, objectively, I do think the Magic are going to be better than people expect this year again. So it's kind of a fine line between you know being a homer, but also like you know being who you are and and, and being relatable to your audience. So that's sort of how I how I will approach it. I think some of the best people in the media who are fans, um, like Greeny and, and and Will Kane and things like that, are, uh, are 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 sort of models and guides for what I'll do.
0: Talking to Steve Cerruti here. I'm teeing it up uh, about his new daily internet podcast show. I don't even know what, because it's a streaming show. It's audio, video, and yet it'll also be a podcast. And as you know from having worked at the Mothership for so long, you know a lot of people listen to radio shows via podcast, and that's that's that whole other way. Whether it's their morning commute, evening workout, whatever the case may be. So I'm not quite sure what to. do call this but it'll be a daily nba show
1: yeah we, I, it, it, we're wherever anybody we're wherever fans are i mean it's, i would call it a digital network i mean like you said it's audio video podcasting so wherever if you want to listen or watch live if you want to listen live at work or if you want to watch live at home or, or at work um you can find it on the radio.com sports app radio.com or you can find the podcast after we're done every day on pretty much wherever podcasts are found so Um, we want to be wherever anybody is is, is sort of uh, taking in sports content so that's kind of our idea for this whole
0: thing alright so fans of Small Talk the podcast which we'll get to um, probably want me to ask you this question (laughs) Um, you are known for sweaters and layers and vests (laughs) did you put in your contract that you are allowed to wear all those things did you make sure that the dress attire for this show fit your personality
1: you know, the draft tire didn't even necessarily come up, but I'm I think I have free reign to sort of do whatever I want within reason. Um, I'm a big hat guy so you're probably gonna see a lot of hats. Um, you're probably going to see a lot of uh, a lot of quarter zips because that's also my thing. But, yeah, once fall comes, due, we're all about sweaters layering and Patagonians, all that stuff. I'll, 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 I'm true to my Northeast roots, Jeremy. So whatever whatever it is to be comfortable, because, you know, that's another thing, too, that I think has sort of changed in media. Um, and this has been, you know, even even media is still on TV, but a lot of the Internet media and things like that, you know, there's no need to, to get dressed up to, like, talk sports anymore. Um you know, I, I, again, I'll go back to sports. Like, get, I, I, I sort of get why there's a student pilot on there, but, you know, on radio, whenever we were doing stuff with Will or with Ryan, like, we were just in – I mean, you know, I, I used to wear a button-up just to be somewhat professional. But if I was on the air, I'm, I'm just wearing a T-shirt. I'm wearing whatever. And I, I think that's kind of like – I think I think it is it, – it, 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 as long as you can be as relatable as possible to your audience and not look like, you know, you're some sort of, like, you're, you're a or bigger than everybody else. Make it, make, you know, make it relatable, and that, that's kind of what I'm going to do, and that's out of two things, that's out of, um, out of what I want to do, but it's also out of just, like, you know, comfortability. I, I want to be comfortable sitting in the studio for two hours, hanging out, just, you know, talking sports.
0: Smallman and, and uh, Freeze Pops, that question was for you. Um, oh, good, nice. <laughs> um, not that they asked me to ask you that, because they don't know that, that we're doing this podcast, but I just, I know that that's something they would ask. Um, where is this show being done from?
1: So I, one of the one of the great perks that this has sort of um, provided me is that I didn't have to move. Uh, Intercom owns stations pretty much in every major market in the country. So uh, I will be doing. I didn't have to move. I'll be doing it out of one of their Connecticut studios, um, and Scal will be doing it from his house in Boston. But I'll also be on the road sometimes. He travels with the Celtics for. Uh, for uh, NBC Sports, so um, we'll be in different places, as will the guests um, mm-hmm. as, as well. It'll be basically like a like it'll be essentially like a video streaming type deal. So we'll all be in different places. I, I'm I'm sure there will be times where potentially we do it at the same place, but for the most part, we'll be you know I'll be here in Connecticut and they will be
0: in Boston. That is very cool. All right, couple NBA things here. Um, number one, what year will the Knicks finally be good? When can I have a playoff team in my living room? Oh, man. well
1: i would say definitely not in the next two years and judging by how terribly they have executed free agency in the last i don't know decade two decades uh i wouldn't really count on it anytime soon i mean the Knicks' death bet is just they, they've got it they've got to hope that they draft a stud they thought they had that for Zingas and that obviously didn't really work out um and I truly believe, though, that if Kevin Durant did not get hurt, I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I think Kevin Durant would be a Nick, and I think Kyrie would also probably be a Nick. But I think because he got hurt, it sort of changed Kyrie's mindset, and he was like, well, I'm going to take the lead on this, and I, I don't know exactly what is going to do, and I'm going to go to the Nets. And, and then it sort of left KD to be like, well, I don't want to go to the Knicks by myself, so I guess I'll go to the Nets too. But I do believe that if Kevin Durant did not, you know, tear, tear his the Achilles, then obviously uh, have, that, have that horrific injury. I think both of them would probably be Knicks today, and we would be thinking about the Knicks in an entirely different way.
0: Which is crazy. Um, and Which sucks for Knicks fans. Yes. Because
1: yes. uh, it, it's not their. It's not their fault. I understand why the Knicks. I, I fully understood why the Knicks traded Porzingis. I thought, I thought for, for the entire season they were the favorite on Kevin Durant. I mean, everybody thought that Kevin Durant was still in there. And then a freak thing happens and it completely changes everything. And maybe that's just the Knicks' luck, and it probably is the Knicks' luck. But I don't think that – I still don't think trading Porzingis and going for that was a mistake,
0: if you know what I mean. No, I, I hear you. I, I just – I just did not understand the timing of that trade. I would have wanted to see that season th- through and see if he could get more value for Porzingis than flipping him when you did. But he was disgruntled, and I guess they just did not want a disgruntled employee around.
1: Exactly. I mean, I, a lot of it, it seems like a lot of it had to do with Porzingis and him and, and just straight up wanting out of town and not, you know, basically jobbing with the front office anymore. And I, again, I don't, I don't blame Porzingis either because, I mean, there's plenty of things to gripe about for the Knicks organization. I don't know exactly what it was. Um, but, you know, it, it was a hard decision probably by both of them, but I understand the decision from both
0: sides. Uh, you've been doing conference previews as kind of test shows with Scal. When you look at the Western Conference, what team is getting too much hype, in your opinion?
1: Ooh, what team is getting too much hype? Um... <laughs> I hate to say it. I, well, let me go down I mean, I don't think the Lakers are getting too much hype. I don't think the Clippers are getting too much hype. I think it's probably between the two of them. I don't think that I don't think anyone's hyping the nuggets, so I can't them. But kinda of by default, I feel like the Jazz are getting too much hype and that pains me to say because I like the Jazz and I think and I, I like their front office. I like the way they're running. One they may be the best run team in the NBA right now. Uh, but I don't see them as a potential final team. Like I know people were talking about can they sneaky get it, and they sneaky win the West, I I don't see that happening. Um, I love Mike Conley, and I love David Mitchell, and I love Rudy Gobert, um, but I, I just don't. I don't see. I just don't see them beating either of the LA teams uh, on their way to the finals. I think some people have sort of put. Some people have softly put them in that kind of category. I'm not sure
0: they're there. For me, what what fascinates me about the West is the Warriors, in the sense that you're going to not have Clay for a while, so it's going to be Steph, D'Lo. And Draymond, and it allows Steph to go nuts again. And how he plays against those defenses, and can they pace themselves? We've seen this, where they've been able to have all these blowouts and rest people in the fourth quarter. And yet, as Steve Kerr told Rachel Nichols after they lost in the finals, um, we need a year off, not just a summer off. They need a year off to recover. And I'm fascinated to see what this Warriors team, A, looks like, how they pace everybody? Do they use the Popovich Rest Load Management Kawhi type deal to, to to get through all this? Because it's gonna not be a full cast for a while and that whole makeup fascinates me.
1: Yeah, I, I so there's a lot of people that that think they're they're gonna just, it, to me, it's it's up to them. Like, did they really? Did they really try? Do they really care? Like, or or do they you know take like I said this on the pod on our previous show, Like, did they take a gap here and just say, you know, hey, we're just gonna punt. You know, maybe we'll you know rest a bunch of guys. Maybe we'll probably try to play D'Angelo as much as possible to maybe increase the trade value so we can put for something we like better or that's a better fit. I don't know. Um, I, but here's the thing. I mean the, the the thing that complicates that is they're moving into a new building. And um, they're moving into a very pricey new building, so that so I'm I'm not saying that they're like in jeopardy of not selling tickets or anything, but you know you don't want to move into a new building and not be competitive and not play your best players. And um, so, so and and here's the other thing too: is like between Steph Curry and Steve Kerr and the rest of that squad, especially Draymond Green, like do you think these are guys that are just going to lay down and just say, "Hey, we'll just punt on this season"? Yeah. I, I don't, I, that's not in their character, that's not in their DNA, so I have a hard time, while I understand why that would probably be the best thing they can do for the future of their team, I don't see, I just don't see them buying into that unless, you know, unless, they, unless it's just terrible and they're out of it by, you know, January, February, um, and they just say, hey, screw it, we'll just play some young guys and we'll figure it out, you know, we won't bring Clay back, or maybe we'll, we'll just bring him back for the last couple of games to are The way obviously the way they're talking, and of course they're gonna say this, that they are gonna try and that they that they're hundred percent gonna be in on trying to make the playoffs, but um, I don't know, they're a tough team, they're a really tough team to, to sort of to sort of try to pinpoint and try to figure out what they're going to be because I don't know what their intentions are going this season. I do think Steph, it'll be interesting if, you know, it'll be interesting to see Steph carry the entire load because I don't know as great as as, as great of a player as Steph Curry is, I don't know if he is good enough to just get them into the playoffs in the West on just his own with no help, and I think what you saw in the playoffs in the finals last year is that when Draymond Green is sort of asked to do more than what his role is, and he's created his role, but that really is a enforcer, a defensive guy, um, occasional ball handler, when he's thrust from maybe the third or fourth best player to the second best player on the team, I think you sort of see his limitations, so... I, I I don't I I'm I'm not to be a cop out answer, but I, I do not I do not know what the words are going to look like next year. I think well, I think we will only know when we see it kind of after a couple weeks or a month into the uh, into the actual regular season.
0: Right. Uh, talking to Steve Sarudi here on teeing up. What's your Eastern Conference Finals matchup right now? Because I I feel like there's just a lot of parity in the East and a lot of question marks in the East.
1: Well, I think there's. I think there's only two title contenders in the East. I think it's the Sixers and the Bucks. Um, I don't think the Celtics are there. I don't think the Nets are there.
0: Um, right, the Nets are a 2020, 2021 team when Durant comes
1: back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then who knows? I mean, like, we've seen Kyrie teams. You know, we've seen we've seen you know Kyrie have problems with with their players. But who knows how that'll work out when, when KD comes back? But I'm putting them on the back burner for at least a year. Um, I, I, to me, it's a complete two-two team race, two horse race in the Eastern Conference. I think I don't know if they'll get the one-two seeds. I mean, I, I probably assume they will, so they'll probably play in the Eastern Conference Finals. But the Sixers have been in the year ahead to show that's above everybody else, um, you know. And I, I still look. I, I I know a lot of people are kind of hot on the Sixers this year. I'm still riding with the Bucks in the East. I just trust Giannis more. This is a team that people last year were talking about contending with a healthy Warrior squad, and potentially beating them in the finals. Um, like, remember, they had the best regular season record last year. They were dominating people. They were built perfectly. I understand they lost a couple guys, including Malcolm Brogdon, which is a huge loss, but I like some of the guys they brought in, like Wes Matthews. Um, so I, I still think the, the Bucs are the favorite needs of the conference. Uh, I I have to see Embiid and Simmons do it before I trust them. I just don't as a talent. I mean, Embiid on when, on his best day could to be the best player in the league. But the problem is there are still maturity issues, there are still health issues, there are still you know wanted issues, and I can't get past all those things to say yes, the Sixers are going to be a, uh, are going to win the Eastern Conference this year. So I look at it and go, I trust Giannis. Giannis is the reigning MVP. He was absolutely dominant without really a jump shot. So if he had anything to that in his game, he's going to be obviously even better this season. I think he will because he's a hard worker. He's humble. And he doesn't really care about all the flashy stuff that some NBA stars care about. So I'm riding with the Bucks in the East, but I see it as a complete two-horse race because I don't think... So I think with Toronto losing, obviously Kawhi being green. I just don't look at a guy like Pascal Siakam as going to lead a team to
0: another Eastern Conference Final, Final So And I'm with you. I, I just my concern. I, I feel like every team in the East has a question. Do the Bucks have enough star power and depth? Do the Sixers' key pieces perform to their potential? Does Boston surprise some people and rise up again? Does Kyrie carry the Nets somewhere? You talked about your magic, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on. I feel like the West... I feel like whoever comes out of the West is going to win it. I just don't know. And I think that there's clearly a tier in the West and then a, a tier down. I agree with you that it's Milwaukee, Philly, then who knows. But... I, I just think that the East is more open for a surprise contender to hop in there. That's that just my two cents. Maybe, sense. and I think
1: Boston will be better, but I think Boston's really the only team. I mean, I don't know who else besides Boston. I mean, and Michael Lugipo comes back, and I think he's supposed to come back if he weren't in the season from you know, his again, horrific injury, which was terrible because he was playing unbelievable basketball for about two straight years. The, the and I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Pacers were a legit threat in, in the East. Yeah. Unless he comes back as himself, fast, I can't see them. Maybe next year, but I can't see it this year. So I, I just sort of look at it and go, you know, I, I think I know. I think I know what the two flaws of those two top teams are, in Sixers and Bucks. Um, but I, and I think everybody else's flaws are much much
0: bigger. All right. So now it's time for some fun stuff. Number one, you're a, a father of two dogs because we have to Correct. give we have to give the listeners what we promised. Um, Great. You're a a, a father of two dogs. You love Mumford, as Small Talk fans know. Um, How have you handled the second child? Because everybody talks about, you know, your firstborn is always the special one. How have you handled this new dog in your life? Listen,
1: it is so funny that that's the way you put it, because that's the way I described it to pretty much everyone. I, our new dog, his name is Moose. He He is is a probably 18-pound Dachshund Vix, so he's a winger dog. Um, he is a hilarious looking dog. He's really sweet. He is we have no idea how old he has to do the rescue. He's probably they told us he might be around five, who knows? He could be anywhere. He could literally be any age. But he is incredibly chill and he is awesome and he is a great addition to our sort of little clan here. But I will never I will never I said this to my wife. I will never love a dog the way that I love Mumford, because he was, and it's for, it's for multiple reasons, one is because he was the first, obviously, he was our first dog, um, he's he's sort of more of the dog, two, he's sort of more of a, the dog that I like, he's bigger, he's 65 pounds, he feels like a dog, a man's dog, dog, you know what I mean, mm. um, and the other thing is, we got him when he was a puppy, so we've, we've sort of seen him in, almost, in pretty much his entire, in all phases of his life, so... Uh, things are great I, both of them I, I love both of them it's, inc- it's incredible we always wanted two dogs i encourage if anyone could get two dogs like the, the second one makes things so much better because they're just so funny to watch like interact with each other but you're 100 percent right that's the first thing i said was now, is this how you feel when you're a parent like you always automatically love your first child so much more than your other children because that's because that, that's how i feel about my dog um
0: when will the u.s men's national team soccer team be any good
1: when will they? When will they be any good? I mean, what's your definition of good? I mean, you know, because this is—I I get really annoyed about. Now I'm not saying I'm not annoyed. You know, i i get annoyed with the talk around like sort of the expectations of the of the men's team because you know I know everybody likes to trash on them now, um, especially because the women's team just won the World Cup and there's obviously all the you know the equal pay stuff. But it, 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 it's their game for everyone to just trash the men's team, which I think is totally unfair because. Let's be honest. They've had a bad. They've had a bad two years. They've had a really bad two years. Obviously missing the World Cup, and then they took forever to hire a coach. They hired Bear Halter, who is all who is to me is just not the guy for the job. And not that he's not a good coach. I just don't think he's a good fit for what the U.S. kind of has and what their history has been. But I mean, the definition of of, of good, I would say, is they were good. They've been good the last. They obviously missed the last World Cup. 2018 World Cup. They were good in the 2014 World Cup. They were good in the 2010 World Cup. This is a this is a team that's made it out of groups with England in them. This is a team that made it out of a group a group of death by, if I may add, a group of death with Germany and Portugal and Ghana in it. They finished second, runner up in that, and they very nearly, um, obviously because of Tim Howard's incredible goalkeeping performance, nearly knocked off Belgium in the knockout round. Like this is a team that was punching well above their weight in the world for many many years, and. Yes, they've had it down two years, and I think that a lot of it is to do with sort of the way the U.S. Soccer is run and not putting the right people in charge. And I think, you know, whether it was Clinton not agreeing with sort of the, the MLS guys, or um, whether it's the, you know, as I said, waiting to hire a coach for, for, for so long. I think they've they, they're in a rut right now, but I just think the expectations are so out of whack because of where the women's team is at that it makes the men's team look like a bunch of scrubs, which they're not. Now, obviously, they should be qualifying for every single World Cup. That's, that's, that's a bare minimum that they should be doing. But, I mean, if you look into the past, the, the men's team has punched well above their weight for many years and has been a, a source of pride for this country. And let's be honest, like, they're not, they're not throwing out world-class players like Germany, Portugal, Spain. So we don't have we don't have the world class players that some of these other countries have. it. Christian Pulisic cool, is, cool, is, is, is really the only guy that, that the U.S. has. And he's great, but he can't do it all by himself. And I just think you know this is getting case. really into the weeds, but this is the kind of stuff that I love about soccer. Is that I, I I don't think the style that they're playing right now is the type of style that the U.S. should be playing uh, internationally because. They're trying to play the beautiful game soccer the way that, you know, Barcelona plays with the best national team plays and those are, those are teams with guys that play on the best teams in Europe. They are the only talent in the entire world and a lot, I a lot of these guys, a lot of those guys play on the team. same club teams that are familiar with each other and so, so you have to understand, in international, like, you just don't think, as a coach, you do get a lot of time with the players. You're not really developing players. You're not necessarily coaching them. You're trying to put them in the best position in the most limited amount of time to succeed. And I think what the problem with the, the current coach now is he's just trying to do too much playing a style. And the U.S. has been successful playing a style of defense, grit, counter attack, And this possession-based ball kind of thing that they're doing now isn't, isn't who they are. So I, I've always said this, and I know this is super controversial, but I, I think the perfect hire for the U.S. now would be Jose Mourinho, and I know everybody hates him because he was you know, he had to be retired at Man United, and it, was, it ended completely poorly, um, and he's kind of an abrasive personality, and I say that in quotations because he is an abrasive personality. But I think that's the kind of guy that would be great for the for, U, for the U.S. and the U.S. soccer for uh, for several reasons. One being he plays the style of defense counter counterattacking football that I think would suit the international competition for the U.S. And I think, two, he has the kind of, I don't give a bleak attitude where if things aren't going well, he's not going to succumb to pressure from the media or people in the U.S. that are calling him out. He's going to probably be just as abrasive and call people out to their faces right back. So... I, it would be sort of a it would really be a shocking hire. It would be a controversial hire. It would be uh, it, would, it would be sort of a I'm not even hundred percent sure it would work, but I, but I do think that he is the right guy to take this job over. Um, and I, he's out of a job right now. He's working in the media. He seems to like it. So if I'm the US and this tent kind of continues to go the way it's going. I just say, hey, Jose. What, what is it going to take for you to do this? Because he's the kind of guy that immediately brings name
0: recognition and credibility to the team, and that's something that they that they're need of right now. That's fascinating. That was a long answer, so I'm sorry, but when I'm when I'm talking about U.S. soccer, I get very worked up. Yes, I I I can tell, um, and and I'm glad for the long answer because I, I think you addressed some of the stereotypes and kind of gave a status update of sources to where of sorts as to where these people are. All right, three more. Number one, um, this is the only ESPN question that I'll ask. When you look back on your ESPN days, and and obviously not not private, but 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 something you can share, what is that one moment that'll have you shaking your head hysterically, laughing forever, as like this really happened? Oh
1: man, um, you know it probably has to do well. No- <sighs> there's so many my goodness and there's so many different like categories of them for one one of the one of the most fun weird things that I've ever done and it's why Michelle Smaller and I probably are so close now um, is because we were on the way to Tallahassee for a Rosillo and Connell show we were going to do a show obviously Danny went to Florida State we are going to do a show from the school everybody was pumped so we were flying out of Hartford one night to do a show basically like the next day and we were connecting in Charlotte but our flight got delayed, so we essentially missed our connecting flight to Tallahassee. So we're in the Charlotte Airport. Um, we're in the Charlotte Airport probably, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, Eastern time. And that we missed our flight, and that was the only flight that was going to Tallahassee or we going anywhere near there um, that would have gotten us there basically for the show, to do, to, to do the show on time. So we, we're sort of in a situation where what do we do? Do we, we fly back home? I guess that's kind of what our manager said. He was like, All right, you guys can just fly back, we'll figure it out, I don't know, blah 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 blah. And we're like, Well we're already in Charlotte, like we might as well just go. Like, how far is Tallahassee? Like, what's the drive like? We ride a car. So Michelle and I drove from Charlo- from I'm sorry, from, from uh, yeah, from Charlotte to Tallahassee in the middle of the night, basically through the states of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and then into Florida. I think it was about eight plus hours I wanna say. Um, a lot of waffle houses on the way. Uh, a lot of good playlists, and we ended up making our way to. I think we ended up getting into Tallahassee about seven a.m. and we had a show meeting at like I don't know ten or so. So we got like an hour or two of sleep, and then did the show that day. So if anyone wanted to question our dedication, that was uh, that they absolutely could not after hearing that story. But that's probably one of the one of the reasons that
0: Michelle and I are so close because we ended up spending so much time in the car again, uh, which was really funny. Yeah, exactly. If you're not close after that, um, yeah. no. I, I, I mean that's a make or break thing for a friendship. It was. It was like,
1: and had, I mean, we sort of knew each other at that time. We, we, I mean, we, we definitely knew each other. We were working on a show, but we, we weren't probably as close as we, we ultimately came. And I think a lot of it had to do with that. And it was a really, really funny kind of cool experience that I would, you know, I don't know if I would want to repeat, but I'm glad we at least did it work. Um, and then as far as the other I mean, random stuff, I mean, I would say the coolest person that I ever got to meet, well, there's two there's two, there's two people that are, on, are like on the bucket list of guests got to meet and one I happened to be off the day he was there and I was really mad about it. Um, the one that I missed was Rick Ross, which I, I literally thought about going into the studio on my day off just to meet Rick Ross. But I was like, you know what, you're off. I had stuff to do that day. I took it down for a reason. I'm like, you know, couldn't be off. So I never unfortunately got to meet Rick Ross. It's probably my favorite rapper there is. Um, and the guy that I did get to meet that I actually kinda hit it off with was it Fildermouth. he was promoting a he was promoting, what was it, Southpaw? It was a movie, Southpaw, was that boxing movie, which actually was really good. And he was in, he was doing Mike and Mike that morning, I happened to be producing, and, he, and we were his first hit of the day. So he got there probably about 15 minutes before the hit, and it was basically just Jill and Hall and I chopping it up for like 15 minutes, talking about hairstyles, talking about, you know, man buns, beards, talking about the movie, talking about every little thing. And I mean, I say this jokingly, but I, I literally was like, "Hey man, like, what's your number? We should go grab a drink later. Let's, uh, let's, let's like, you know, let's do this thing." Because would actually that, be that cool, with that engaging in the conversation with me. So, those are probably three of my favorite stories that I can kind of tell. I on, 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 always tell publicly. Um, so, like I said, I, do. I had a lot of great years there, and
0: I'll certainly miss it. But those are those are And then there's all the stories that'll never be told. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of those. Yeah. All the control <laughs> so, room control stories. Room yeah, all the control room stories that'll that'll never be told. When you write your book, eventually you'll uh, you'll include them in there. All right, two two things, and and this is how we'll wrap it up because it's all in one question. Number one, what's the fate of you on Small Talk? What's the latest on that? Because on your last Small Talk episode, the Ask Me Anything episode, it was kind of up in the air, and then for all those fans. Kind of wrapping it up. Where can they find you daily to get their ceruti fixed Now that it won't be weekly on Small Talk. So, I
1: I do not know what the future of Small Talk is, and I Michelle and I talked about it because I think I'll be able to just sort of go on as a as maybe a guest here and there. I don't I don't there. The weekly thing is no more, which is which is honestly one of the hardest parts about doing this is that, you know, we, we, we just can't do it anymore and it's, it's sort of everyone's schedule all together, it's just sort of all over the place now. So for a million different reasons we won't be doing the daily show anymore, but we were we've been sort of talking about doing little things of you know, just sort of like reunion shows here and there of me being a guest with her, and and, and, and small talk in general is going to change it because it's, it's really Michelle's thing, and she's the she's the one that's done so much of the work on it, and 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 she's just it, it's actually amazing all the things that she's been able to do. So we haven't really figured out exactly what we're going to do, but it, trust us, it, it, this won't be the last time that you, that you hear from us. So it, I, I don't know. what We'll just follow our social channels. At some point, we'll figure out. We'll do reunion shows. We'll, we'll get this thing back together. But unfortunately, it won't be a, a weekly occurrence like it was before. And for anybody that's sort of looking to, to find me, um, I actually recently just changed my Twitter handle, too. So I guess I basically have the app Rudy handle to my girl, Jen who hooked it up who is, uh, who is like a social media a guru. He, it was basically, what's funny is I always had wanted the Ceruti handle, the at-C-E-R-U-T-I handle. And somebody who, somebody, I think like when Twitter was invented, like took that handle, created an account, never tweeted, never followed anybody, never did any sort of activity. So I'm like, well, this is BS. Like, I want this. I want to use this. This person isn't even using it. So for the long, it's been a long time coming, but I was able to actually get the Ceruti handle. So I'm really excited about that. So, just
0: search Steve Ceruti, whatever, Instagram, Twitter, you'll, 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 you'll be able to find me. I'll be putting content up there, you know, pretty pretty regularly. Um, all right, sorry. I, I, I just have to answer, ask one more thing. Um, how much did you have to pay off the anonymous person to get that handle? America wants to know, was it billions upon billions of dollars from your reserves, from your ESPN producing days? No, it was zero dollars because the person was inactive. That was the <laughs> thing that was annoying about
1: it, is they were not active. They, they, I don't think they had used it in... I mean, they, they had never tweeted from the account since 2009, so I think at that, at that point, Twitter just goes, okay, this, this, this person's not using it anymore, so it's fair game, so they ended up just giving it to
0: me, which is great. So It was zero dollars. the best bargain of the century. Shout out to Jen, and that is a great I bargain. Jen's hooking me up, so she's, uh, she's bad. The NBA show with Brian Scalabrini and Steve Cerruti premieres on Entercom's radio.com sports network september 23rd at what time uh we're from 11 a.m to 1 p.m eastern every day there you go and it'll be on all your podcast platforms congratulations steve so happy for you much deserved and uh thank you for coming on teeing it up with jeremy shilling you got it and thank you all for listening to this edition of teeing it up with jeremy shilling